Gracious Heavenly Father, it's good to pause and to remind ourselves in the moment that you are with us. And that as we open your word, you speak to us. Your words are powerful. They bring comfort and direction and wisdom and warning into our lives. Most of all, they bring you. And so I pray that our ears would be open to hear you today. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Today we continue our series in the book of Colossians. We're nine messages in and we're almost to chapter two. Colossians 1 verse 24 through 29 this morning. Colossians 1 verse 24 through 29. This is God's word. This is Paul speaking here. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there's two puzzles in this text. And the first is verse 24 itself, which is one, the one verse in Colossians which has had more written about it than any other verse because it's a, it's a puzzle. It's a hard one. And so we're going to spend most of our time considering it. But the second puzzle in our text is why Paul begins to talk about himself. It seems like a great change of focus, doesn't it, for us who have been in the book of Colossians? When Christ, when Paul has had such a focus on the centrality of Christ. There's a lot of Paul in these verses. Paul's joy, Paul's suffering. Paul's ministry, Paul's stewardship, Paul's proclaiming, Paul's warning, Paul's teaching, Paul's toil, Paul's struggle. So one of my questions is, Paul, if your goal is to present the Colossians and us 
mature and blameless in Christ at the last day, why are you talking about yourself so much? Why so much attention on your suffering in your ministry and your stewardship in your toil and your struggle? The answer to that question is powerful and profound. And along the way, we'll consider how we all might be called to share in Christ's sufferings. And also how Christ is sharing his love for us through the sufferings of others. The context of this passage is Paul introducing himself to the Colossians. He's never met them before. In some ways, he's giving them his credentials. He's telling them that he is an apostle to the Gentiles. He is the one who converted their pastor, Epaphras, who came and ministered the gospel to them. He talks about his ministry as a stewardship of a great mystery. And the word mystery there isn't an idea that's beyond human comprehension, but simply something that's been hidden, but that's now been revealed. And what has been revealed is the gospel of Jesus. How Christ is not just the Savior of the Jews, but He's the Savior of the whole world. And He sums up this mystery in saying, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this gospel came to them through Epaphras, who had again learned this gospel from Paul. And now Paul is writing this church, this young church, this letter, seeking to help them persevere in the young faith that they have. Which brings us back to our question. Why did Paul, in seeking to preserve the faith and and hope of the Colossians to get them home and to bring them to glory, why does he speak of himself and his ministry in the way he does in this paragraph? In other words, why not put all the focus on Christ? Instead of speaking of his own suffering, his own ministry, his own stewardship, his own proclaiming, why not point to Christ? Why draw draw so much attention to your own suffering and toil? The short answer is that Paul saw that his suffering was Christ's suffering. And that his love, in a very real way, was Christ's love. We can break that down even further into three points. Paul saw his suffering as transmitting Christ's love, as authenticating Christ's love, and as embodying Christ's love. And so now I'll make it personal. Our suffering transmits Christ's love. Our suffering authenticates Christ's love, our suffering embodies Christ's love. Let's look at those in turn. 
Our suffering transmits Christ's love. And now we get to that puzzling little verse, 24. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. That's a puzzle. And we can see right off the bat why that verse has gotten so much attention. It's that idea that Christ's afflictions could be lacking in any way. It seems like a pretty deeply heretical thing to say that. Not only that, it seems to contradict everything that Paul has said up to this point about the sufficiency of Christ within this letter itself. Up against all of the false teachers in Colossae who were teaching Christ plus this or that. What Paul has been teaching is that when it comes to the atoning worth of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, there is absolutely nothing lacking. Nothing that wasn't finished on the cross. It wasn't like Jesus died and said, oh, 90% atoning effectiveness for your sin. You guys have to carry the rest. The last 10%, that's your job. No, when he hung on the cross, he said something else. He said, it is finished. Tetelestai in Greek, beautiful word. It's a banking term that means paid in full. Nothing more needs to be done. That's why we constantly talk about the finished work of Christ. The beauty, the wonder, the value, the worth, and the merit of Christ crucified for your sins, it is infinite. You can't add anything to the worth of Christ's sacrifice. There is nothing missing from it. There is no lack in it. So why does Paul say that he's filling up what is lacking? And I think if you look at the contest, context, it suggests that Paul's suffering fills up Christ's, not by adding anything to their worth, but by extending them to the people that they were meant to bless. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is not that they were in any way deficient in worth or merit. What is lacking is that they're still a mystery to some people. Not known or revealed. They're not yet extended to everyone. And so the afflictions are lacking in the sense that they are not seen and known. They must be carried This infinite worth and treasure of the gospel must be carried to others, and that usually means suffering. Now let me prove that that's what he's saying. There's an interesting parallel to this passage in Philippians chapter 2. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians 2.30. 
and I'll give you some context here. What we're looking for in this verse are, is the exact same phrase, filling up what is lacking. And we find it here. And whenever you're confused about a verse in the Bible, what you do is you look to see if you can find those words or ideas used somewhere else in the Bible. And if you can find them used by the same author of the letter or the book that you're reading, all the better, because that can help you understand the text that you're in. Well, here's the context of the passage we're about to read. The church in Philippi has prepared a love offering for the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul is 800 miles away from Philippi in Rome. And so to get the offering, this, this money that they've put together to be able to meet Paul's need in prison, they need someone who will take the money over the 800 miles, over land and sea, um, over roads ruled by outlaws, with a ton of money. This is risky business. But they find a man to do that. And his name is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus almost dies bringing the money that the Philippians gave to Paul. And Paul receives the money with joy. And in verse 24, it says, he came close to death for the work of Christ. Oh, this is in verse 30. Risking his life to fill up what was lacking in your service to me. So the words may be different in your English translations, but it is the exact same Greek phrase. Epaphroditus and taking your riches over these long distant miles to me filled up what is lacking in your service to me. What sense was the service to the Philippians to Paul lacking? The Philippians loved Paul and had provided for Paul, but there was this 800 miles that separated them. They couldn't get to him to love him and serve him as they wanted to. And so they chose a person to represent them, risking their life, coming to Paul, carrying their money, their riches, their love to him. Epaphroditus filled up what was lacking. He didn't add a cent to the money that they had given, but what he did is he risked his life to get those riches to the loved one. The parallel is this. In the gospel, Christ has prepared a love offering for the world by suffering and dying for sinners. It is complete of infinite worth. It is full, lacking in nothing except one thing, a personal presentation to the people of the nations and your workplace. And God's answer to that lack is to call his people, people like Paul, people like me, 
people like you to present these riches to the people they were meant to serve. When we do this, we fill up what is lacking in the afflictions in Christ. We, in other words, finish what they were designed for. Namely, a personal presentation to the world. A world who does not know their infinite worth. Who does not know this God. The point is that taking the gospel to people across the office or across the ocean ordinarily requires sacrifice and risk and suffering, a losing of life or a denying of self. And the text is looking for people willing to risk as Epaphroditus risked, as Paul risked to bring the riches of the mystery of all that is in Christ to those who need to hear it. But that doesn't even, as wonderful and challenging as that is, it does not get to the bottom of what Paul is saying here. Because he's not just saying that our suffering is required to transmit Christ's love. He's saying our suffering for others, when we choose to do this, it actually authenticates the message. Consider what Epaphroditus' sacrifice must have meant for Paul in jail. Not only does he get the treasure, the money, but he sees the lengths that someone went to get it to him. When he saw that Epaphroditus had almost died to be able to give him this love, this service, it must have enhanced the gift, authenticated the Philippians' love. It must have made him treasure that gift and that service all the more. The same thing with Paul's service to us in the gospel. Paul is saying, in my flesh, I am filling up. And what he's talking about is the painful experiences he's having in prison. The physical toil and suffering that's, that's happened to him because of the gospel. And in pointing to his suffering... He's saying, I want it to have the same result. In bringing the gift of the gospel to you, I want my joyful suffering to enhance the gift, to authenticate it so that you treasure it all the more. I mean, I put it simply. It's one thing to say Christ loved you so much that he suffered for you. It's another thing to see someone suffering for you in his name and then sharing the love of Christ with you verbally. As I thought about this idea, I was reminded of a story that John Piper relays in his wonderful book on missions, a story told to him by a Romanian missionary who had suffered much for the gospel. And that Romanian missionary tells a story of an indigenous missionary 
who walked barefoot from village to village preaching the gospel in India. His hardships were many. And after a long day and many miles and much discouragement, he came to a village and tried to speak the gospel to the villagers there, but was driven out of town and was ultimately rejected. And so he went to the edge of the village, dejected, and he laid down under a tree and he slept from exhaustion. And when he awoke, people were hovering over him. And the whole town had gathered around him to hear him speak. And the chief of the village explained that when they came to look at him, sleeping there, they saw his blistered feet, the beautiful blisters on their feet. And they concluded from that that he must be a holy man and that they had been evil to reject him and that they were sorry and wanted to hear the message that he was willing to suffer so much to bring them. What happened there? The evangelist filled up in his feet the afflictions of Christ. We are called to suffer for the sake of Christ and to joyfully find a way to fill up what is lacking in Christ's affliction by taking his love to others. And the call to suffer with Christ is not a call to bear our sins the way he bore them, but it is a call to love the way he loved. We do not earn forgiveness by what we suffer, but we are free to love as Jesus did because we have been forgiven. Because he has suffered for us, we are freed to suffer like him. And when we do, people listen. Our suffering transmits the love of Christ. Our suffering authenticates the love of Christ. But we're still not at the bottom. There's one more step. Because I think what Paul is saying is that our suffering actually embodies the love of Christ. That when we love, when you are loved by a faithful servant of Jesus, you are being loved by Jesus. I really think that he's saying to us, my struggle, my toil, my suffering, it's not merely mine, it's Christ's. It is Christ's sufferings. It is Christ's toil on your behalf. It's interesting, in, in, in verse 22 of Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that Christ has reconciled us in his body of his flesh by his death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach. Christ is going to present us holy and blameless and above reproach. But notice that in our text, he uses the same language to talk about his ministry. Look at verse 28. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So who's doing the presenting? Is it Christ or is it Paul? It's Christ in Paul. Paul sees this very close connection between his sufferings and Christ's affliction. And what this means, I think, is that God intends 
for the afflictions of Christ to be presented to the world through the afflictions of his people. God really means for the body of Christ, the church, to experience some of the suffering that he experienced so that when we offer the Christ of the cross to people, they see the Christ of the cross in us. But he means more than that. It's not just that they see the Christ of the cross in us. The Christ of the cross is present in that moment with them in us. Christ in us the hope of glory. It's what he says in the very last verse in our text. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. He's saying, do you think this is me? Do you you think my toil and my struggle are merely mine? I was the arrogant abuser of the church. A miracle has happened in me, he's saying. Christ has happened to me. Do you think when I call attention to my toil and my struggle, it's an ego trip? I'm trying to show you what Christ does in a human life. Christ at work in me. He is loving you in my toil. He is working for you in my toil. Christ at powerfully at work in me. And I love this. The practical application here is that there are so many people who have a hard time feeling God's love. Just existentially experiencing God's love. God can feel distant. He's invisible. But he's try- the Bible is trying to open our eyes to spiritual reality, which is when I am loved by you and when you are loved by me in the name of Christ, we are being loved by Christ. Christ is present. In Philippians 1.8, he says, I yearn for you with the very affections of Christ. When, when a true minister of the gospel preaches to you, prays for you, comes to you by your, your, a nervous young minister, comes for a hospital visit, and I promise you they don't know what they're going to say and they're nervous because that's me every time I go. doesn't matter how many times I do it, but they come to your bedside. They read scripture with you. They hold your hand. They pray for you. That is Christ. I'm always thinking, man, when I'm, when I'm like 80 or 90, when I'm old and I'm in the hospital, I, you know what I'm going to be longing for? Some nervous young minister to come into my room to open up the scriptures and read Psalm 23 because that's the only one he could think of. And to receive in those nervous words the love of Christ. I know Christ loves you. He died for you. 
That's thousands of years ago. And now he's in heaven and he can't see you. But, and sometimes you can't even feel him, but he loves you. And, and, and so what he does is he sends people to suffer and toil for you. And you are called to suffer and toil for others. He's saying, look at, it's Christ. It's Christ. I remember one of my seminary professors when he was, they're telling you how to do a funeral. And I just always remember him saying, you are the first one there. And most importantly, you are always the last one to leave. The last thing that a person should see by a graveside is the pastor standing there to symbolize God's presence. We, there's all these little ways in which we are Christ to one another. So how do we sum this up? Let's let's apply it to our lives. First application, Christ is trying to communicate his love to others through your sacrifice and suffering for them. And so my question is who? Who is a person who does not know Jesus, whom you are uniquely equipped and maybe feel the stirring to bring God's love to them? Yes, in actions, also in words. So the hard, I love the balance of this text because Paul talks about his toiling to worship or to, to warn and to teach and to use God's word. Because in our modern day, when it's so hard, we don't like to evangelize. We don't like to talk about Jesus. We love, like the line, preach Christ and use words if necessary, which I totally understand. But, and I like that phrase, but it can be misunderstood because it, what we, how we take it is that if you're super nice to people, that somehow they will just intuit on their own the gospel and all of its implications. Like you tip really big. Like I'm a Christian, so I tip really big. And that will mean that through that interaction, they're left saying, oh man, that person was so polite, it just occurred to me that a first century rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth actually is the incarnation of the creator God. And I can be reconciled to him by death and resurrection of that rabbi, and I can now receive him as the master of my entire life, living according to my teachings. I'm glad they gave me the big tip. (laughs) Yeah, You got to use, it's risky to use words. But not if you surround the words with your suffering. Your burden-bearing suffering for others. And so think about the person, and the, for your first question is, what burden are they carrying that I can make lighter by my life? And in that context, we share the love of Christ. Christ is trying to communicate his love to others through you, your suffering and sacrifice for them. Second application, Christ is trying to communicate his love to you through the sacrifice and suffering of others. Do you feel like the Lord is distant? Have you been seeking for him? Has there been some faithful small group person who has just been texting you every day? Do you not know that that is Christ texting you? 
every day? Has there been somebody sending you little email encouragements? And at first they were annoying until you realized it was Christ sending you the annoying email. Has there been somebody praying for you? Do you know that it's been Christ praying for you? My last bit of application is this. There are people suffering for Jesus but finding it hard to find joy in it. They're wondering if it's worth it anymore. Some of our missionaries, perhaps. Perhaps you've taken a child into your home in a fostering situation and it just, you did it because of Jesus, but it's been hard. Or just to stand up for Christ in a world that mocks and laughs. To have other people look into our life and our suffering and say, I see Christ in you. I see Christ in you. To encourage them so that they can find joy again in their service of him. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Colossians. Thank you for the example and words of Paul, a man uh, arrogant and violent who is changed by you, who can now talk about rejoicing in his sufferings for others. Uh, Thank you for his sacrifice for us. Um, in the same ways that he talks this way to the, the church in Colossians. Over 2,000 years, he's speaking to us that all that he suffered was for our sake. And that we are to experience Christ's love through his suffering. Thank you for the servants of Jesus who regularly embody his love in our lives. May we receive Uh, Christ in their words, encouragement, love, and devotion. Would you use us to fill up what is lacking in your afflictions? Nothing of their worth, but there are so many people that you love. And you have, there's a love offering named Jesus. And there's a distance that needs to be covered for people to hear and know of Christ. And that we would be people willing to risk because um, for their sake and because what Christ has done for us is so powerful and amazing. So would you help us to become mature in Christ? And I think that means becoming like Paul in this instance, willing to suffer for the sake of others, joyfully, for the sake of the gospel. We give you praise and thanks. In Christ's name, amen.